0: Hey, Elaine here. I just wanted to note before the episode starts that we've had some audio issues for this episode. It doesn't sound awful, but doesn't sound as good as previous episodes. We will fix this by next episode, but I just wanted to note that because maybe you won't even notice, maybe you will. It's just the sound is a bit off. And that's because we were trying some new things recording-wise, which didn't really pan out. We had a guest, which also added more complexity. You know, it's not unlistenable. It's just not as clean as the previous episodes. Just reassuring you that we are working on that, and if everything goes right in next episode, we should be back having a better sound than this. Anyhow, enjoy the episode. I hate this
1: sound. So
0: Hello! Welcome to another episode of Gotta Get Out of This Town, a 2000 pop-punk and emo-pop retrospective. I am, as always, Elaine, and with me... Fletcher. Adam. Eric. Yay! We have a guest. Turns out the main way to get on this podcast as a guest is to ask politely on Twitter. How are you, Eric? Present yourself to the wider public.
2: I'm Eric. I have been listening to pop-punk and emo since I was in high school which is the best time to listen to Pop Punk and Emo.
0: I'm learning that. Are you thinking that like, being around like 30 or whatever, aside from Adam, and making a podcast about it as an adult, 20 years later, it was a trend, is not the greatest idea? Is that what you're implying?
2: I think it's the greatest idea because, like you said, the second you said this was a podcast on Twitter, I think I responded within 10 minutes being like, can I be on? Me, also almost 30. So... And uh, pop punk is still all I listen to, really.
0: Almost 30 keeps killing me.
2: It's uh, less than f- five months.
0: Look, we have Adam who's almost like 18, so that's... Uh...
3: I'm almost 22, thank you very
0: much. <laughs> <laughs> that's good, that's good. <sighs>
2: This is good generation stuff going on here, so.
0: This is good making Fletch feel old humor here. (laughs) Don't worry, every time
4: they start discussing some piece of technology, it will always come up. Wait till we
0: get to the beeper songs. So, today we are talking about the seminal emo pop record, Something to Write Home About, by the Get Up Kids. This record didn't chart, but there is a reason why I put it on our Excel spreadsheet is because everyone stole from this record. Everyone who was in, like, both, like, more emo-ish emo, everyone who was in Emo Pop, everyone fucking stole from this record.
3: Including Blink-182? No,
0: this is more on the emo side, but, like, you know, even, like, Fallout Boy stole from this record, like this, everyone like took this record and went like, we're gonna take bits from this. Didn't they?
2: Yeah, you can hear it.
0: It's the first time a lot of sounds that we will hear repeatedly in this retrospective show up. By the way, if you're asking what is this podcast, as the title say, this is a retrospective of 2000 Pop Punk and Emopunk. We have a giant spreadsheet where we took all of the records that charted on Billboard Top 200 Records and that were tagged either as pop or Pop Punk on Radio Music. Currently, we have 408 records. We talked about five records. We have about four hundred and three records left to talk about. The now total number of separate different bands on the spreadsheet is uh, one hundred and sixty-one, and we are currently, as mentioned last time, one point two percent done with this podcast.
2: This would be technically the third episode I listened to.
0: <laughs> yes, we are on a month delay, so Eric hasn't listened to us talking about Phoenix TX. God, you lucky soul. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I don't even know what that album is, and I tried to search it, and since it's self-titled, and apparently it's kind of obscure, and I couldn't find... Is it on Spotify? Because I didn't have Spotify for a little bit. It's,
0: it's, a, it's, it's on Spotify. It's a, I don't recommend it.
2: Okay, I'll check Spotify, but... I,
0: I don't recommend it. Don't, don't I... waste your time. <laughs> don't do
3: it. Don't do it.
2: Yeah, I don't know what that album is, but I was like, I can listen to a song and see if I will like want to listen to the album. But yeah... You covered. Did you cover Jimmy Eat World before this, or one of those, right? We have.
0: We did. We talked about Clarity.
2: I did listen to that album. Was surprised by how not energetic it was for most of it. I don't know what you guys said. This is just general thoughts. Um, it's pretty good.
4: I think it's the star of the show so far.
2: And I like the demo version of Sweetness better than the one that you will hear all the time. <laughs>
0: But yeah, Clarity is important here, because by admission of the Get Up Kids, they were listening to this record when they recorded this, and it shows. Like, a couple of tracks are taken one by one from Jimmy Eat World's Clarity. Yeah, one of them
4: sounds like uh, a more mature Lucky Denver mint.
2: I only listened to the Jimmy Eat World album once, but the slow songs, which is like half that record of the Jimmy Eat World one, much better than the slow songs on this record, I think.
4: So in uh, the least favorite segment we have, The Obligatory, let's lay out some of the issues that may or may not have come
0: up with this band in the time since this record. How inappropriate would it be if I made a jingle for The Obligatory? I'm not going to make a jingle for The Obligatory. (laughs) I'll make a jingle for The Obligatory. Remind
4: me when we're done. I will absolutely slap together something that sounds like it came from a kid's show.
3: I will remind you.
2: I didn't listen to the other episodes yet because they're not out, but I can only imagine the problems get worse as we go on. I don't know what
0: problems have happened yet, but... So far, we only had one other obligatory, which is surprising. Okay,
4: okay. The guy from Lit got a homeless guy killed by the cops. Oh!
0: Oopsie doops.
4: Oh. He Mark Wahlberg did.
2: Okay, I like like half that album, but I did not know he got a homeless guy killed by the cops. That's not fun.
4: Yeah, dude has his own pop-punk wall burgers. Anyway, so there has been, over the past year, a lot of scuttlebutt around Mr. James Dewey, the keyboard player for this band, as well as someone who's been in My Chemical Romance and a few other things we are likely to touch on. The stories are, for the most part, backroom gossip because there is not really a me too style push in the music industry i hate to say it there's a lot of talk some of which i can confirm through partners or friends of my own who know other people they it's very bad never date a musician never date a musician seriously but um digging into this a little bit it seems that as of last year around september the Get up Kids just straight up released a tweet saying James Dewey is no longer a member of the band. Before COVID put plans on a hiatus, there was talk that he would not be returning for the My Chemical Romance reunion, according to some sources. I don't know if they ever got that layout down. And a few things that I saw suggested he had been incredibly lax with delivering on merchandise to the point that it was beginning to affect the band's reputation, and a few much less corroborated but mentioned sources claimed he had been sort of playing groupies to the tune of, you know, hey, can you loan me a few bucks and doing this across the U.S.? So, again, can't confirm that because I don't have his bank statements, but... The fact that they have generally been silent on things other than explicitly stating, my dude's gone, seems to speak to there being some unpleasantness and something in these, mm, probably the smoke around a fire. Yeah.
2: If you don't even say creative differences in why you let someone go, it's like, in this time where there's these accusations and you're not giving a reason, you're kind of just saying there's some truth somewhere.
4: Yeah, something happened. All right, let's get happy. With this
2: completely happy album. <laughs>
0: The founding members of the Get Up Kids are from Olate, Kansas. Again, I would mention that most of the information I'm getting from the book Post, A Look at the Influence of post Hardcore by Eric Grabs, which is a really good enturo book on a couple of bands in the scene at the time. Yeah, I think of bands that we will talk about this only covers Jimmy Edwards and the Get Up Kids but there's like actually interesting stuff about bands that never quite made it in the charts or in our you know, in our spreadsheet but you know it talks also about uh, At The Drive-In, The Promise Ring, sunny Day Real Estate so if you're into this kind of music recommend the book it's pretty good. The writing is a bit so-so but lots of Really good and well-researched information, so recommend it. Anyhow, talking about the Up kids, most of them hailed from Olathe, Kansas, which is a suburb 15 minutes away from Kansas City. Once again, we're out of California, reason to celebrate. The members at the time were, you know, at the times where they were kids in high school, they were already starting a whole bunch of bands that there are detailed further in the book. They were starting pop-punk band, experimental band, noise bands, just a bunch of stuff. Eventually, they came together to form the Get Up Kids, which was their sort of like more mature project. And they actually took the name from one of the songs of one of their previous bands. Originally, they were supposed to be the Suburban Get Up Kids, which was the name of the song they took the name from. But apparently, they figured out there's less bands that start with G in record store, so they just removed the first word. Matt Pryor mentions that when they were starting the bands, one of their main influence was the fact that his girlfriend was moving away from his city. That might make you, like, intuit the tone this band is going for.
2: I read that fact after listening to the album once, and then I read that fact in your notes, and then I listened to it again, and I was like, oh, yeah, That's what most of these songs are about, I think, so...
0: Yeah, (laughs) this record is a bit later than that. like, about, like, five five years later, but that's the tone still.
2: Yeah, yeah, well, if it's not directly about that, it seems like it is.
0: Yeah,
4: (laughs) Eventually, the band knew that they had something coming together and decided that they were going to self-produce their first single and fake it until they made it with a label that did not exist. This didn't really give them any traction... But, mailing it around did allow them the opportunity to tour with the band Mineral, who I'm sure all of us have heard of and remember. I like Mineral. And that makes you... Like, I'm sorry to undermine your joke, I like that band. <laughs> no, no, that's fine, I was legitimately asking if anyone knew, I had not. Oh,
0: okay, okay, I thought it was sarcasm, and I was like, oh, okay...
4: No, no, I like. I generally presume when we have this kind of thing that all of you who know this genre know more than me. I did not know that.
0: They they are like sort of like an indie-ish proto-emo band from the time. They're not quite as emo as emo as Sunny Day Real Estate, but they're sort of in that ballpark. They're a bit more straddled the line between emo and sort of like indie rock of the time. They're pretty good. They were like... A, not a big deal, but for, you know, if you're the get-up kids and you're a band that's like in high school... Touring with Mineral is just, like, a big deal for you, because they were, like, a real band.
4: Yeah, that was going to lead into the next part I was going to mention, which is that, yes, they were so young, they did actually take a year off high school to do this. Yep. So, the events of such would actually lead to their drummer being replaced, because he was not willing to take a year off of study to tour. So, Ryan Pope, the bassist's cousin, joins the band. And they now have the formation they're going to keep until last September, with Matt Pryor on vocals and guitar, Jim Septic on other guitar, Rob Pope on bass, and Ryan Pope on drums. James Dewey will join the band
0: in a couple of years on keyboards, for a couple of years. <laughs> yep. So, during the third, they became friends with a bunch of bands of the area, so they started, you know, playing the scene... Garnered a bit of a following, and immediately they decided to capitalize with the momentum they had with an EP, which is Woodson, which still follows their current sounds of fairly fast but emotional song. They were way punkier at the beginning, as many bands that we will talk about. They started very heavy, very like punk even though with, like, emo, like, inspiration also from, like, bands like Sunny Day Real Estate and so on, but then they evolved into a more nuanced sound. I listened to the EP, Woodson, and it's not that great, but the title track is pretty good. If you find yourself in the mood, give it a listen. The EP was noticed by Doghouse Records, a small and still active uh, label from Ohio. At the time, they never had any particular heavy hitters signed to them, but aside from the Get Up Kid, currently they're also known for having given their start to the All American rejects and say anything. So apparently they just signed a bunch of bands early in their development stage. But yeah, Drughouse Record offered them a two record deal, and the Get Up Kids accepted it, which led them to produce their first full length LP, which is the 4 Minute Mile.
4: Good name for an LP to be fair. Especially when you're in high school. <laughs> for sure. I, I don't I don't get the joke. Uh that's a general thing that was used as a fitness test at the time is can you run a four minute mile? No. Okay. Oh yeah. I'm old.
3: I mean, it's, it's still a thing, it's just that I think that they bumped it up to five or six minutes once they realized that, like, you know, American children are not going to be doing a four-minute mile.
0: You had places worth to run in high school? Yeah. Mm.
4: I think every high school is required to have a big track around a football field.
2: A football field or some sort of field, yeah.
3: I think that's how they justify having the football field. They're like, Well, we have to have this track so our kids can run the mile. <laughs> we might as well put a football field in the middle of it.
0: That's not how Italian high schools are, but okay. We we didn't have a we didn't have an outside. <laughs> it was just inside. <laughs> oh, you can do indoor football. Mm. No, yeah. we didn't have sporting Gotcha. Equipment in the inside. Well,
3: lucky, lucky you.
4: Yeah. Football's big here, so... Just like many of the American children.
2: (laughs) Yes. Which is why they made it a five or six minute mile. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I would not, I did not run this mile. I would start and then be like, I'm walking. Forget this. Yeah.
3: Me and my asthmatic lungs were like, uh, you want me to run a five-minute mile? How about a 13-minute mile?
2: <laughs> <laughs> How about a light jog? Any, It doesn't seem like any of us were the kind that liked gym class.
4: I did well with a zero-period weight training class. I had to show up at 6am. Arguably the best shape of my life. I'm not too bad now, though.
0: Anyhow. High school! Well, we're getting in the mindset for this kind of music. It's fine. It's fine. Mm-hmm. We need to... We need to regress here so we can enjoy it uh, how it was meant to be enjoyed. (laughs) But yeah, Four Minute Miles is pretty much what you think when you think of that era midwest emo. It's emotional, it's punky, and it sounds way rougher than, you know, what the genre will become. It's very, it's not particularly produced. It's like very raw, very... mm. According to the band, they pretty much record that each song has a single take, which shows they're good, it's catchy, there's some cool catchy sounds, there's one song that's particularly catchy, like Don't Hate Me, which has some quirky synth lines on it, even though James Dewey wasn't with the band yet. I, I think it's less cute than the record we talk about today, but it makes sense that this was the record that sort of pushed them into having even bigger momentum. And the record does have a fair success doesn't really break on the mainstream or anything, but it keeps building the momentum that the band was building and lifts them directly into their first national and then European tour. They go to England. With their success on the
4: rise, the band was not particularly thrilled with the label they had signed with, as it couldn't keep everything in print long enough for them to be available during tours. As a result, they shoved out an EP to fulfill their two-record deal, which would be the Red Letter Day EP, and then immediately started meeting with other labels in search of a new deal. Just like America, they found one, through Sub Pop Records, and didn't sign. Because just like us, they couldn't land that new deal. Instead, they almost went to Mojo Records, who were owned by Universal, and they got so far as to have a verbal agreement, but then bad signs came their way, like the label wanting all of their merchandising and requesting they start re-recording things. With the negotiations dragging on for over half a year, the band instead goes with Vagrant
0: Records in the
4: end, who even
0: gave them their own imprint,
4: Heroes and Villains.
0: The imprint doesn't really go anywhere. It will mainly release their records. And uh, Reggie and the Full FX records, which is the band by James Dewey, which is their first signing, and then he joins the band. So, effectively, that imprint released only records relating to them. But yeah, aside from their smaller imprint, the label as a whole was having financial difficulties at the time, and during this climate, the band started working on their second LP, which is the record we will talk about today, something to write home about.
4: one was produced by one chad blinman who previously worked with face to face and had experience with the punk genre the record was also recorded in you guessed it salt lake los angeles california you can hear elaine's disappointment in the background
0: no i'm just saying i wish we had variety in our geographical placement of where records are recorded
3: well people that don't live in california need to get better at music then (laughs)
4: <laughs> or at least build better studios. Yeah,
2: the 49 other states terrible at music.
3: Yep. I'm not even from California. I can say this.
4: I am from California and I will proudly say it.
1: <laughs>
0: During the recording of this record, the band said that they were listening to a bunch of Clarity by Jimmy Edwards, which, as mentioned, shows. And Weezer, which is, huh, interesting, shows way less. Pinkerton, right?
2: I think Pinkerton, this might be Pinkerton, Weezer, so yes, I okay. think it aligns a bit better. Because I think
4: it's a little after this they do the Green Album and become Pop Darlings.
2: Yeah, Weezer made Pinkerton, everyone hated it. Oh, I don't know if everyone hated it, but people like were real critical of it because it was uh, less catchy and uh, heavier. That's a good word. And so they were like, well, we're not doing that again. <laughs> so they basically went on the tra- trajectory they did.
0: It became a joke band. Yeah. Has anyone listened to the later, like the Black Album they did last year? I heard parts of it. I listened to it once. So bad. Yeah, so bad.
4: Weezer are not an act that you should be emulating these days. And pretty much everything after Beverly Hills is where you can just write them off.
0: I always say about Weezer that it seems like it's their lifelong mission to embarrass me forever like in the Blue album. <laughs> so It's a good album. I It is, but everything else they did is
4: Yeah. I was in the same place where it's like, "Hey, I respect Rivers Cuomo cuz they did the Green Album." and they made more money than God, and they went, all right, band's over, I'm taking this money and going back to college. And it's like, that's a very mature decision. It turns out the Weezer guy was intelligent. And then he started filming videos at the Playboy Mansion with Muppets, and it's like, oh, oh, you're a whore, okay.
2: (laughs) (laughs) There are Weezer songs that I really like. I don't know if up to this day, but... Past their mostly expiration date. They're still a big band.
3: Is Island in the Sun, Weezer? Yes. Yes. Okay. I, I enjoyed that song.
4: That was Green Album, I believe. Yeah. yeah. There's some hits on that album. So. Oh, yeah, Hashpipe, yeah. etc. Yeah.
2: Anyway, the album we're supposed to be talking about.
0: Yeah, that something to write about. Fun fact because of more contract fuckery, to this day, Doghouse Records, their previous, you know, label, still owns the rights solely to the vinyl pressing of something to write about, Well, all the other rights are on Vagrant Records. So that's an amusing fact that I found. Oops. Apparently when they did the most recent re-release of this record, the most recent re-pressing on vinyl, the band didn't know anything about it. The Doghouse Record just decided they were going to re-release this vinyl. <laughs> there the are right interview about this. It's funny.
4: It is the era, so... Vinyl's back, baby. And not just for fetishists anymore. <laughs> Only one single ended up coming off of this record... Action and action, for which there was a video. I could not find it. However, I do admit to being a little more pressed for time doing research on whether Dewey was some kind of sex predator. It's just on YouTube. Really? I seem to have cursed searches. I find things that no one else does sometimes.
0: (laughs) I like the song, the song is really good. Uh, the video is interesting. It features the singer singing into a telephone, which is actually a reference to one of their earliest bands. It's a reference to Secular Team, which was a noise rock project in which they actually sang into like a telephone, outfitted as a microphone. So it's really neat that they are like referencing one of their high school bands in this video. Also, it features them being randomly dicks to like this girl who's trying to study. And they're just like, I don't know, keep playing loud music and are mean to her. And it's weird. It's a weird yeah. video. It's a cool song.
2: I like the song. I don't like the video. And watching the video while the song's playing makes me like the song less. But every time I listen to the song without the video, I'm like, oh, no, I do like the song. <laughs> I don't know what it is about the music video. That kind of annoys me. But...
0: Matt Pryor, the singer, looks like a young mark kermode in this video i don't know if it's just the quiff, the hairstyle but i can believe it based on some of the promo photos of them at this era anyhow most importantly the they released the single and it has a b-side that i wanted fletch opinion on because they covered the cure and we have one cure expert in this podcast
4: so it's not bad it's a cover of close to me which is a very good fit for this genre There are very bad pop-punk covers of Cure songs. I'm still glad to this day, and we'll say on the record, I'm glad 311 got waterboarded for that love song cover. And this is a good song to pair with a lo-fi smash-and-grab approach to the tune. So it's in and out, it fits, and it plays around with the weird instrumentation that the original track had.
3: And for this, we will not cancel them.
4: (laughs) I mean, if we're willing to waterboard the Get Up Kids too, I will accept that as payment if
0: they do a bad Cure cover. All right. Is waterboarding like metaphorical here? No, Eric Andre literally waterboarded 311. Yeah,
4: it's okay; they earned it.
2: Yeah, he hits him with a bat too. It's pretty funny.
4: He spends a whole season trying to investigate 311. No idea. (laughs) I I feel like this is this is something that does not translate well alt comedy (laughs) into pop punk discussion. It sounds like it's
2: something being made up.
4: It's real. Yeah, the footage is out there. One of them,
2: I think the singer's like tied up, and they're singing, and they're playing, and then, yeah,
4: they get hit with bats and kicks, and it's... Comes in with the jug. So while something to write home about never garnered mainstream success, the record got enough traction to effectively save Vagrant Records, and received a very warm critical reception,
0: sending them into a three-year straight tour. Which well, apparently the, um, the head of the label mortgaged his parents' house, well, asked money from his parents, and his parents mortgaged their house to fund this record, and it works, because Vagrant Records is still alive today, so...
1: Yay! Good
0: good job.
3: Mortgaging your parents' (laughs) house? Okay, as long as it's for the sake of pop-punk.
0: Anyhow, good job, the Get Up Kids. You saved the record label from being turned into a mall. Thank God, the Get Up Kids played a concert and a record executive got to keep his
4: house. Now we don't have to make it into an orphanage.
1: Wait.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow, this was what led up to this record, and we can move on from here and talking about the record itself, which is pretty okay. To go on a holiday? Ah. Uh, ah. Uh, uh,
2: this holiday, and in, in a couple of years, you go on a holiday with Green Day, which I know you all love.
4: So We have not yet covered much of my disdain for Green Day, but we did pass on it. I know, I heard that episode.
0: American Idiot is a, it's a, it's a watershed moment for music everywhere.
4: When I made a joke on the first episode about how a lot of politics that this genre brings are you know, pop punk versus bush with a dollar sign there really were like three volumes of collections of that
0: Well, I'm glad they didn't charted.
4: I'll find them, I'll find them and I'll mail them to you
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know You'll have to get through international postage, which is, you know. I'll blow the UPS
4: guy. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Holiday's a great start to the album.
2: This This is my favorite
0: track on the album, so... I
4: think all of us put this top three. This is probably my number two.
0: Yeah, it has, like, a very strong chorus. It's, like, a prototypical emo pop song that everyone again this record is massively influential and in a lot of the sound that we found in this record everyone will steal from and it's good it's a solid pop tune and it's sort of a shame that they're dicks about having influenced all of this emo pop stuff because like you know it's cool that you hear this song and you can clearly hear where the genre is going see i don't know that Cool would be the term I was going to say,
4: because I think the lyrics on this have a bit of a divorced dad energy to them. Mm. <laughs> but, that aside, I think it is definitely jamming, and uh, the guitarist is playing it a bit simple, but there's some surprises there. And the drummer goes ham at the end. The vocals are the weak point on this track.
0: I don't mind Matt Prior. Sort of like prototypical emo pop singer, but yeah... He lacks the cockiness that will become a hallmark in the genre, at least in the pop, emo pop area. Sort of like has that voice, but without the, you know, the rock star attitude. This is more like a sad, this is like more still sad boy emo.
3: Again, divorced dad energy.
0: Especially, maybe
4: you'll talk to me on the holiday.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I do actually think his voice compliments this track better than some other tracks on the record. I think there's some pretty good lyrics on this album as a whole, and then some I, I'm i just like, okay, whatever.
4: Oh, I agree. I'm just talking about Holiday.
2: Right, right. I think the, at the very least, I think there's a frustration in this song that comes through with his vocals that I think complements it well, the lyrics and stuff.
0: And it's a great opener. Like, opening a record like this is just like, yes, this is how you want to open the record. With, like, your big pop tune, with, like, a chorus that, like, sticks to you with, like, energy. This is a good song. Agreed. It's great. Yeah.
3: I would have to disagree on it being a song that sticks to you with energy because I listened to it twice a day and I cannot remember any of it. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) I'm sitting here looking at the lyrics. I'm like, nope.
2: That's funny. It gets like stuck in my head. Yeah. But, you know, there's a weird, uh, subjectiveness to catchiness that's I mean there's fair. a science and then there's also like a subjectiveness and it's weird because this song
0: I think that's one of the strengths of this record they are very good at composing melodies mm-hmm. it's a bit weaker on the production side I think it's like a bit dry not, the, the production doesn't always drive home the songs but I think they are good at writing melodies and at composing their songs which I appreciate. You're not
4: you're not gonna read this last bit on the notes that is in all caps?
0: Oh, Some of my notes are not necessarily for reading, they're just for me to express my <laughs> my sentiment in the moment. And I did write in all caps, Matt Pryor, you are the reason my chemical romance exists. Own it, you coward. I love that sentiment. <laughs>
4: I very much enjoy that. So yeah, I feel like we need that on the tape. <laughs>
2: Okay. Yeah, he said, um, "Was it was this band that was just like, if if this is the scene that I helped create, I regret it or whatever." And I was like,
0: "Oh, yeah, uh, if this is the scene we helped create, we apologize and like, fuck you." <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> I mean, if you're talking about Phoenix TX, then like I can see why you might say that, but otherwise. Yes. I don't know, man.
4: Phoenix TX would have to have a visible influence that it took from for anyone to claim that they were responsible for that.
3: (laughs) That's that's fair. I'm just like, most of them, most of the bands out there are not as bad as that. I'm
4: still amazed that became our low so fast.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But this thing about the apologizing for the scene was like, Probably, like, I don't remember the year, but, like, it's mid two thousand, so it was around the time, like, My Chemical Romance and The Used were big, so it just, like...
2: uh. It was also the peak time to hate the genre, so it makes, it kind of makes sense.
0: Also, like, if you read interviews, they also say, oh, everyone says that they were listening to us at that time, but, like, I don't hear it, and it's just, like... Mm. Okay, you can say say that you don't like that we were taking, like, your sounds, but... Come on, like, it, it, the similarities between that music and what they took from this record are, like, pretty, pretty clear. Like,
3: It's like, buddy, you're a musician. We know you're not tone deaf. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, it's uh, just, like, lots of the guitar work is taken directly from this. A lot of, like, how the, mel- like, the feel of the melodic composition is- will be taken directly from there. It's just like, come on.
2: The only other note for this song is I like how it goes. It's fast and energetic, and then it has the when the chorus hits when he first mentions like holiday and it hits. It goes into a like a clean tone and it comes down to like pick up again.
0: I enjoy that. Most of the songs are basic A B A B C A B stuff, but there's cool dynamic inside of that that makes them less rote mm-hmm. than you would imagine. Yeah,
2: going soft before you go hard again is is a common thing.
0: It's a cool trick that lets you have a bit more of, you know, of playfulness in your song, even though you're following a hmm. your rigid structure. And talking about A B A B C A B stuff, the the single comes after this, which is action and action. You talk-
4: This is the one that was my... Oh, this is a pleasant surprise. More instrumentation than Holiday. It switches things up halfway in for a breakdown. And it goes out on a nice... Cl- action and Action, definitely best track on
0: the album. I see why this was a single. The presence of a synth in the um, instrumentation just, like, elevates this. Like, helps the whole song comes together. And it's great. Uh, it's sad that the only, only band to my memory to still having, like, the synth in your pop-punk is Motion City soundtrack, which did a bunch of good stuff. I think it. I, I would like more synth in my pop-punk as my take from this.
2: Is this the first track that there is keyboard? Because um, I have that, if that the note I took, and then I was like, is there even a synth in Holiday? Is it just overblown? Okay.
4: Yeah, that one is just basic vocals and uh, instruments.
2: And uh, the keyboard's pretty. It's not uh, overpowering, but it's noticeable.
0: No, it's just like this little flare. It goes wee-oo, 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 wee-oo rather than going blah, 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 blah. Which, you know, are the, are the two styles of playing keyboard explained by me.
4: Uh-huh. Uh, keyboard noises. I can only do theremin noises. Sorry.
0: You don't need that for a pop punk <laughs> show. No. I, I really wanted to learn how to play the Terramin because it looks really cool, but then I I, I I got told that it's really fucking hard. Like it's actually like an extremely complex instrument. And I was like, Yeah, never mind then. Yes.
2: It's it's all it's all ear training and there's no like signifier on where any note is. You just have to learn and listen. <laughs> it's extremely hard.
0: I mean, I, I was just interested with it because it looks really cool. Like, if you look someone playing a theremin, they look like the fucking coolest person in the world. And you can quote me on that.
2: And it's horror movie noises, which I'm a fan of.
3: Oh boy, horror movies.
4: Oh my god, there are online YouTube tutorials for how to design and play a theremin. <laughs> of course.
3: There's YouTube videos for literally everything under the sun, my friend.
4: I was just curious. I figured that's got to be an obscure one. No, literally assembly instructions and how to play from various difficulty levels.
2: It's one of those instruments that are like not popular, but like mainstream not popular.
3: They're hipster. You can say it.
4: (laughs) I guess. Yeah. As a hipster, I give you privilege to use that term. It's not a slur today. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: Look.
4: Hipster is the white male equivalent of Karen. Just admit it. Hmm. I can see that.
1: I can
0: see that.
3: I mean, perhaps, except for, like, I thought that hipster was a gender-neutral thing.
4: Generally, I think you are considered to be twee if you're a female hipster.
3: I've not heard that
0: word before. I've heard that word, not in that context. I've heard it, but...
3: I'm sure that you know more about this than I, so I will take your word for it, Fletch.
0: I don't know where this conversation is going. I'm.
2: This is the single, and it's a good single. I get why.
0: Yeah. That's a good song. The thing that I don't like about this, and I mentioned this in the last song, the production is a bit wonky. I don't like how drowned in the mix the guitar riff is. I think it's like a really solid bleeding riff for the song, and I don't know why they... Drowned it in the mix to almost being unheardable. Like the guitar sort of slush together instead of having two, like very distinct, like sonic lines. So mm. it's a good song though.
2: Yeah, when you can hear the guitar, it's good.
0: Yeah, like it's uh, th- this song is the song from this record that I played the most this week. Like sometimes I would just be like, oh, I'm gonna listen to this specific song. It's good.
1: not fully convinced There's something wrong with this Could another point of view Biased and untrue Tear me
4: Away from you Let's talk
0: about Valentine,
4: because I love this
0: track. Do you? I'm okay on it. It's a like- Track from Clarity almost like like almost identical through some stuff on Clarity. Uh
4: yeah, this is the one I wrote sounded like a more mature Lucky Denver mint.
0: Oh, I like Lucky Denver Mint more than this song. I mean more
3: mature doesn't mean better.
4: I I'm going at it lyrically. Production-wise, that one has the polish, being that it was a single, but definitely lyrically, same content doesn't sound as stop hitting me
0: in the writing. I like this one. Uh, I, I am in the minority. I, I was okay on this one. I feel like, I don't know, I feel like the production of Jimmy Edwards on Lucky Them Baby Been" sort of drives it home. Well, this is very, you know, this kind of song with this kind of like drier instrumentation is not my thing necessarily, but it's fine. It's fine.
2: Yeah, I'm more more with you. Uh, this is a more middling track on this record for me. Uh, I like the guitar in the chorus. I like the chorus lyrically. For some reason, I get annoyed with the uh, constants aren't so constant anymore. Like, the way those words are stretched out kind of annoys me for some reason. I don't know why.
3: This is the only song, I think, on the entire album where I can actually remember any of the melody. So, you know.
4: (laughs) Mm Hmm. Mm -hmm. Damn. (laughs) So I'm beginning to take it the emo half of this is not going to be your thrill, (laughs)
2: Adam.
0: Perhaps. Mm-hmm.
2: I also like the lyric, tonight for me, translate to yesterday for you. That's pretty good.
0: Mm. Oh, that's... Yeah, that's interesting. I'm not... I, I, the lyric never... The lyric in this record didn't quite talk for me.
2: There's a couple that stand out to me. and uh... yeah. By the back
4: half, I start referring to them as, oh, this is if adults wrote my own worst enemy. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah, there was a song where I was just like, huh, this has similar but opposite energy to my own worst enemy, but I can't remember which one it was.
0: My Apology? Perhaps. Yeah, anyhow, Valentine. Half of us loved it, half of us were okay with it. Yeah, it's really in the middle. Make your own choice. Vote team hashtag team Fletch, or hashtag team Ellie on this one.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Please, we need the engagement, need to get the engagement up. <laughs> Get up to the polls,
0: kids. SEO. We move to my favorite song of the record, Red Letter Day. So like, you hear this song and you're just like, yes, this is what everyone stole from. Like, you have the, the sort of staggered melody. No one's told the synths going wee-wee-wee-oo, but they're really good. The just-acquisition of the synth going with this long note and the very rhythmic uh, drum, which get pushed up in the mix. It's something that Motion City soundtrack will do like just exactly the same way in like four songs and we'll get to that, but like this is the first time that it this kind of like composition tricks pops up, which is neat. It's a good song. You're making me excited for Motion City soundtrack. Me too. They are less good than they could be. They are <laughs> it's one of those bands that I always enjoyed, but I always felt that the building blocks for them were more exciting than what uh, the record actually were. Mm-hmm.
3: I I know one one whole song from them, but oh, which one? It, uh, I don't even know what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while.
4: I presume they're a band because every time you say Motion City soundtrack, my brain automatically fills in Burnout Paradise soundtrack, for some reason.
0: They were on Burnout Tree, and they okay, were... Okay, maybe that's why. <laughs>
4: well, there you go. I thought
2: this was uh, more middling for me, too. I, I don't... The verses are, like, all right. I like the chorus. It's really catchy to me. Who is the singer singing about in this song? Because uh, I thought it was, like... It sounds like it's, like, you know, a girlfriend. Sometimes. But then... It's also like, we're loyal like brother. And I'm like, what?
3: We're loyal like brothers.
4: Oh, this is definitely a bros song.
3: Love that bromance.
0: About the specific lyrics, the thing that like pisses me off when I went and looked at the lyric is that we're loyal like brother, just us versus all the other doesn't scan with the melody they're using, so they just contract the words very heavily. And <laughs> once you realize what he's saying, it's very awkward. If you're not reading the lyrics, it's fine. It just sounds like him saying words. Yeah. But when you go and look at the lyric, it's just like, oh, you contracted this sentence in like one second, and it's very awkward.
2: Uh, there's a couple of lyrics, and I'm just like, I don't know totally what you were going for here, but...
4: I really didn't need it ending on how could
0: you do this to me over and over and over. Yes, it's a classic, you know, repetitive ending. I like this song. It's like very catchy. It's like has energy, uses the synths well. It's uh, it has good dynamic. What we were mentioning before, how they have this very very rigid structure of like classic pop song but they actually play around like some of the verses get quiet down and then there's energy going off so they have interesting dynamics going on inside the a b a b c a b structure it's cool i really yeah. like this song
2: i think if i like the verses more i would this would be higher on my list but for some reason the verses just don't do much for me
4: Yep. Firm it's middle, different. the lyrics let this down But the instruments are carrying it yeah. yeah
1: There's room to believe Out of sight Out of mind
4: Speaking of endless influence, I think the one that I found that on was the next track, Out of Reach. This is a very slow, down-tempo track. This is, to me, this is what a lot of things that would classify under the modern take of the emo genre are drawing from. Until now, I've heard tracks that sound like this on the radio driving around right now. Yeah,
0: yeah. I could see that. This is more like the, you know, the bright eyes kind of emo. The, you know, sad boy with guitars and piano. But yeah, I could definitely see that. Yes. This also definitely feels like, while Valentine to me felt like them doing Jimmy at Word, this feels more them as a song. Like it feels more unique to them.
4: It's definitely the first thing I can think of with this sound. It is not the last. It will never be the last. We cannot kill this. The genie is out of the bottle.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I I, I like the song though. I think there are the neat like backing vocals, which is something that I always have a weakness for, like the harmonizing backing vocals, mm. which are a bit like beach Boys-y, which I'm into. Yeah. It's good.
3: Y'all are making me wish I could remember what this song sounds like.
0: You know, Adam. I'll I'll reveal a trick to you. You can listen to the record while we talk about it.
3: I can, but that doesn't mean that I'd absorb it or what you were saying, and then it would ultimately be a loss. That's um, fair. I do like the lyrics, though. This definitely seems like a song that I would have liked in high school if I had known it existed.
2: This one's pretty low on my list of ones that stuck out to me, because I... Lyrically, it's fine, I guess, but it kind of misses me. I like the chorus, but I wish there was more to it. I think there's a couple of tracks on this record that the chorus is very bare with words.
0: Yeah. This, like, chorus-wise, this was very 70 to me. Like, the melody of the chorus felt like 60s, 70s, sort of like classic melodic song. Like, I could have seen the Beatles singing this melody. That's just what I'm saying. And not like, you know, psychedelic Beatles. They could have seen the early, like, short haircut Beatles thing in this thing. Before you clarified, I thought you were saying this is a 70, like a 70%, a 7 out of 10
4: track. And it's like, oh yeah, I agree.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm referring
4: to the decade.
3: That's where I thought you were going to. This is
4: in the top half for me, but this is very much a track that I don't feel the need to revisit because it will be hoisted on me endlessly by popular culture. (laughs)
0: That is fair. It is a very, you know, it's a very classic structure for, like, slow, emotional song.
4: I'm
3: getting the feeling that you don't like the radio very much, Fletch. You seem kind of salty about its offerings to you. Mm,
4: I have. I live in a town that has multiple alt-rock stations, so I get catered to. I can swap from one to the other. I can go to r and B. I I can go down tempo. It's just that there are times of year... Or certain DJs who very much lean on a style of music that I feel is not my, not my preference. And so that's when it's like, all right, I'm going to put on the metal station for now.
1: That's fair. Ten
4: minutes. This one is where it starts to turn for me, because the lyrics are getting a bit, God, you suck, Becky. And like the one that's real bad, and this is where it starts to lean into that lit Phoenix TX vibe is a pointless fight where you're always right. And everything will work out. That's three of those bad songs I've hated prior jammed into one.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: See, this is funny, because I really like this song. <laughs> Not necessarily lyrically, but I think it flows really good, and I like how the chorus is further in the song than you would think. And this is, like, a pretty energetic song, and when, when the chorus comes in, it gets even a little louder. I like that.
0: Yeah, this is one of one of the most punkier songs in the record. I don't mind it. I, it has some backing vocals that are very, like, git with emo. That's like, again, it's probably not the, f- the first place where they showed up, but people will take them probably from here. Like, there's some, you know, some this, like, sort of harsher backing vocals under a fairly clean voice. Like, especially on this one, Matt Pryor has a very pop punky voice. I don't know, on this song, it sounds more nasally than usual. It's like a very, you know, pop punky sound to his voice. I, I think it has, like, this very cool, fast verse, nice to listen to, even though the lyrics, you know, they're not perfect, although it's like you're falling in love while I just fall apart. It's, like, not the greatest lyrics in terms of, like, you know, creativity or, like, form, but it's, like, it's very in the genre. That's just, like, a very, very, you know, Midwest or pop punky lyric there, which is pretty... But it works, it works for the context, but again... My problem with this song is that it leads, like, it has this great build-up, has, like, the, the verses are fast, they have, like, a good guitar, and then the chorus just doesn't work for me. Like, it just doesn't, doesn't. it's not hooky enough, it doesn't grab me that much. Super listenable, though, like, I... listenable is a good word for this.
2: It also does the clean tone thing in the bridge before getting heavy, heavier again and it works
4: (laughs) it
3: works out one might say
4: yeah I work out
0: Hey, so company dime You will have to carry me on this. I don't have much to say about this song. <laughs> this has one melodic idea, one, which is when it goes ba 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 which is the the whole thing on which the whole song is constructed. And everything else aside from the bit where it goes the calls around the company dime, which is like this nice offbeat melody It's just like it's weird it has this nice contrast with the rest of the song but i said from that one bit that's not much interesting for me in this song (laughs) Mm.
4: i've been in this exact bad relationship so
2: (laughs) this is my least favorite song so
3: this song somehow is the other song that like my brain actually bothered to remember any of the melody for that's funny. Doesn't necessarily mean it's good or that I like it, but it's interesting. I think that this song is a good example of you know this album being listenable. It's pleasant.
2: I don't hate it, but uh, this, is a, this is a skip track for me.
4: It's the black hole.
2: If the chorus had, like, I don't know, five more words, maybe I'd like it more.
3: Yeah, my brain likes to hang on to the bridge for some reason, even though that's only two words. Replace, retract,
0: replace, retract. So I'm not super into this song, but like even the worst song in this record for me are just like I'll listen to them. Yes.
3: Yeah, pleasantly listenable.
0: Because we, I think we're coming off as very negative. Well, it's mostly that like you know some songs in this record are okay. This is one of them. This is yeah. okay. Yeah.
3: calling something pleasantly listenable does not seem to be negative that's fair points at fair. last episode <laughs> now that was negative
2: <laughs> this is just a, it's a song it's a, yeah, and that's it's all right. it does its job as a song of existing and there is music in it
0: the, the, the little melody with the scent that goes on in the background is a bit cheesy but it's cute so that it's, sort of works
2: yeah this is This is my least favorite track.
4: Or is it?
0: Or is it? Yeah, you're
4: going to have to tell us that.
1: You'll be accepting my apology for taking things too seriously. Sometimes I'm old enough to keep routine, sometimes I'm childish.
4: the end of the album let's get into the back half with my apology this or the next track are definitely the low point for me and i can't place which but lyrically this is the grown-up smug a-hole version of my own worst enemy but it's a different type of a-hole, because instead it's a smug, ah, yes, I'm glad you can see you're not my equal, instead of pleading forgiveness for being a dick all the time.
3: I mean, these lyrics actually scan really well to the, uh, My Own Worst Enemy melody.
0: Did you actually read what the, and I don't know if this is official, probably, but although it doesn't have a source, what um, genius annotation claim the song is about? I did not! Uh, it says that it's about him talking about people, basically him responding to people that he wrote songs about, which I feel it's an interesting theme. Like, it's definitely, like, smug and sort of, like, above it all. But this is literally the one song that lyrically stuck stuck to me. Like, everything else sort of felt forgettable, but this at least had, like, sort of an interesting theming around it. That puts a... Way weirder
4: read on the chunk of lyrics I wrote down then.
0: Okay, go on.
4: Because the first half is straight up my own worst enemy. My once photographic memory, for recollection's sake, is failing me. I can't remember for the life of me. You know, I can't remember what I said to you when I was drunk. Didn't mean to call you that. But then there's the whole vengeful, sometimes I can think to recite, words I read and rewrite, My pens paint people that I've proven wrong. So telling me that this is explicitly written about, oh yeah, well, screw you, I'm in a band now. It's like, oh, oh.
3: Oh, you're just a dick. Cool. Yeah. (laughs) Got it. Yeah, that
2: my pens paint people line makes more sense now, too. Uh, My favorite lyric is, And everything you do, I really do, I really do, sure I do. So that's
3: (laughs) A plus lyric wording there.
2: I don't know what it means, but I, you know,
0: good job. To be fair, if you read more (laughs) modern interview of them, they are also like, you know, they're also like not super happy about the lyrics of this record. There is actually one of them, an interview where they're like. Well, I guess this was a time where songs with this lyrics and they reference like a specific piece of lyrics that I don't remember. But like, <laughs> this were the times where songs with this lyrics could become successful.
2: Yeah, makes sense.
0: They're not standing up to them. Uh, and I'm sure part of them is still their attitude of like, oh, we're a serious band now. We're not emo. But
2: Yeah. So. Yeah, the first, the first note I have is, nice lyrics, bro. Do you really do? So I'd... yeah, <laughs> That's...
0: yeah. Uh... The song exists. I don't mind the song, like aside from the lyric, the, the chorus is like is fairly catchy. Again, they are really good at build, at constructing melodies for their chorus. I find again, the lyrics are not the healthiest, but they're interesting. Teaming wise? They're they're the or at least they're the one for good or for bad they're the one that's stuck the more in my in my memory. It's not super melody based, like it's you know it's more like of a more like of a song. But it's actually pretty catchy for not being, you know, a song about the catchy melody. It's alright. It's a bit different from anything else. It feels indie rock rocky. It's alright. That's a good word. Then we move to I'm a Lunar Doggy, rebel, which apparently is a Pee Wee Herman reference.
2: Yep. Yeah. And if you didn't know that, there are plenty of people in the YouTube comments that really just want to quote that line. Okay. There was like five comments that were just like, here's the quote from that whole scene. And I'm like, yeah, that's the quote. All right. <laughs> you guys saw that movie.
3: I mean, very helpful for people who have no idea what you're talking about right now.
0: I am barely aware of what Pee Wee Herman is because that wasn't a thing in Italy for me growing up. We don't I mean, have that person there.
3: I don't have an excuse. Wah, 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 wah,
1: wah, wah. Yeah, you're, you're,
0: you're, you're just too young for it, I assume, Adam.
1: Oh,
2: okay. Yeah. Uh, people like that movie. I'm not oh, going to
4: 1985
3: film. I see. Yes.
4: I don't
0: think the films hold up with that character. I'll be honest. Whatever I saw of that character looked extremely obnoxious. So It's... You know, I could see that.
4: That's definitely a thing you would need a little bit of nostalgia on to remove some rough edges.
2: It's definitely not not obnoxious.
4: Yeah. I mean being one of the major origin points for I Know You Are, But What Am I?
2: Oh, classic.
4: (laughs) But this is a good tune and probably the most scummy lyrics on the entire album. What are the lyrics about? I don't remember them. Okay, so we start out with Come tomorrow, I'll be on my way back home. In the morning, call from a roadside telephone. And if it were just... A case of, hey, it's a one night stand, there's a thing But there's an undertone of I got you pregnant, I'm gonna bounce. Oh. The chorus, one night doesn't mean the rest of my life. If I go, it's not impossible, but possible is probably wrong. So let go, because I'm afraid to try.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep.
3: So this is the song that reminded me of my own worst enemy, funnily enough. Just with the lyrics of, so shut your eyes when you wake up, I'll be gone, was like an opposite but similar energy to, I I came into the window last night and you're gone.
0: I don't know, I don't necessarily read it as pregnancy. It's more like, this person clearly wanted something more, and he's just like... Bolting out or something.
2: There's a couple of songs on this record that talk about something was supposed to be one night. It's a, it's a theme, apparently. And, you know, maybe the problem's you, singer.
3: Yes, we get it, dude. You got commitment issues.
2: <laughs> maybe the problem's you. I'm just wondering, just saying. hmm
4: <laughs> Like I say, if it weren't for the chorus, I would probably take this as a one night stand someone took too serious but I still don't know with the I wanna make it right, I hope someday you'll understand. No- and then the doesn't mean the rest of my life.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah, that has a tone to it that's kinda different than the rest of the lyrics, I think, that uh definitely yeah. makes it more questionable.
4: Especially with that opening bit about how I don't even have the courage to say this to you. I'm going to do it from the side of the road when you wake up.
2: There might be some like, hey, I suck. I realize that in this song, but it also seems like not that. So I'm not I'm not totally sure.
3: Like, okay, you're saying it, but do you understand that you suck, my dude? (laughs)
2: Yeah, yeah, basically.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I mean I feel with the tone of this music there's always this hint, at least in of self deprecation, at least because you know all of the songs have they're not, you know, they're not chirpy, happy, blink one eighty two singing about diarrhea Gary, right? They have this sort of like darker tone that implies self deprecation, but also like I can definitely see how it's not necessarily expressed in the lyrics that much. Yeah. I mean-
3: Acknowledging that you're an asshole is not nearly as good as like recognizing that you're an asshole and then trying to be less of an asshole, yeah
2: that's that's, a, that's a theme that'll probably continue as oh you're self deprecating but you're also you but also the song the next song that comes <laughs> after this song is not in and, this and, specific and instance, and but yeah,
3: the other seven albums you made after this and- yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's like, well, hmm, maybe six albums later when you're singing about how many enemies you have, again, maybe the problem's you, my dude.
4: <laughs> I think the ultimate version of that, although on a less dark tone, is someone once said, I think it might have actually been Dennis Leary, you cannot be Mick Jagger at 65 standing on a stage in front of millions and saying, I can't get no satisfaction without a hint of irony.
1: <laughs>
2: that's going to be another trend with a lot of these pop punks is like their first album tends to be, specifically in the mid-2000s, a lot of times their first and or second album tends to be their best. And then they, as a band, might mature beyond that, but live they still have to sing those songs because that's why what a lot of people are there for. And, it, and it's like, man, you're singing this song when you wrote it when you were like 17 and you're like 33 now.
3: It, it reminds me a little bit of Paramore's Misery Business. But instead of, like, doing that, they were like, actually, you know what? We've matured past this song. We're not going to sing it anymore.
2: Yeah. They did retire the song. Yeah.
0: Uh, Yesterday, this is completely related. Yesterday I was listening to um, Machine Gun Kelly and Travis Barker did a cover of uh, Misery Business by Paramore. Oh. I am not quite sure if it actually sucks or if I am too old to understand it. Because it doesn't sound like anything to me.
3: Probably both, Ellie. Probably both.
2: I don't know what that sounds like, but the Paramore song isn't good because it's really slut shaming stuff. It's definitely not good when, again, like a thirty, like two, like thirty to forty year old men cover it.
0: <laughs> yeah. I also the also like the song is like you know mu- I'm talking mostly musically like musically it's like I I I don't love Paramore that song is fine but like the the. The Machine Gun Kelly cover just sounds bad, but like part of me is like, "Am I just too old for this? Am I just too old for this person that all of the kids love?" I don't know.
3: As one of the kids, I can say yes.
2: <laughs> no, I love Powermore and I actually love that song, but it's uh, not aged well. But you- nope
3: understand like yeah I, huh.
2: would, I would not choose if i was in a band and i would choose to cover a song i would not choose to cover misery business or a similar uh a not aged well song simply because i recognize that it didn't age well even yeah. if i love the song
1: mm-hmm. but
0: i mean, I would of course cover diarrhea gary <laughs> <laughs> the Fentery gary or whatever is the name yeah
2: well i mean that's like that's a timeless classic <laughs> yeah,
3: i mean yeah while well, they at it, they should cover What's My Age Again.
2: I, I say that ironically, but I think every song on that uh, Blink-182 album is technically a timeless classic because it's extremely influential, but not in a good way. Or not, li- not lyrically in a good way.
0: Anyhow, I'm a loner a rebel. My take from this song is that Fallout Boy will take the dumb name naming scheme from the song and all of the other emo bands will take the guitar intro for this song.
2: <laughs> <laughs> this is our inverse of what I've been saying. I like these verses more than the chorus in this one.
0: Yep, yeah. I mean a lot of my a lot of my thoughts on this songs, and we will get to it at the end. Is that like, yep, this sure is a stock poppy midwest emo song. But that's unfair because that's like they came up with like a lot of the sound. <laughs> so like that's in retrospect, a lot of the stuff sounds a bit boring because people evolved that sound and made more with it, but this was fairly, like, new and interesting at the time. It isn't anymore, because everyone and their little brothers made, you know, bands with this sound, but there's a reason why the Get Up Kids, like, were considered, like, one of the most influential bands of that time, because, like, a lot of the stuff, this was the first time that it was packaged in an accessible form. Like, this wasn't... This wasn't like the super harsh production of sunny day real estate. This was like actual it had a pop form and and, and then the pop form was even made popular.
2: I like this I like this track enough.
0: Yeah, it's good. And and it's time for us to say our long good night or whatever however you do a transition. Put the music here! Music here. Future me, put the music here.
2: Put better music here.
0: Afraid, and uh, I am not from the future, but I, I will have to mention that not better music has been placed here, but long good night has been placed there. Oh. So, half of this song, I can dig.
1: Mm. The first
4: half of this very much feels like a rough draft of a disintegration era cure. Hmm. But then the back half of this feels like someone punched flogging Molly in the face and said, get on stage. (laughs) This is my gem of the back half, except when it suddenly turns into marching band practice. Like, that switch halfway, if this was a short song, this would be a nice little gem. But then it's just
0: boring and rum-pum-pum-pum, 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 over and over. That kind of, like, obsessive drumming, it's sort of, again, like a trope of the genre that lots of people will take, like going with the south song, with like this this building drum. The problem is that, you know, usually you have like that sort of like, you know, repetitive drumming and it gets louder and louder and it builds up to something. And again, like, there are a couple of songs from The World is Beautiful and I'm No Longer Afraid to Die that are really good, do, like, this trick really well. What this drumming leads to in the song, like, the heaviest part in the song, is not that good. Like, I think it's sort of like, it builds up, but then it builds up to this bit that's not particularly exciting. Does it build up?
2: It does. It sort of, it gets more energy at the end. Uh, and I made this note from a previous song that I don't remember, but I usually like a song. I love when a song does a good build up at the end, and like there's multiple like different lyrics going on at the end, and it's and it has like this big ending, and I love that usually. But every time it hap- most of the time it happens with this record. I I don't care for it because I don't. Yeah,
0: I, I think it's sort of like a mix of their lyrics aren't that great, which means there's less, you know, the climax of the songs are a bit less powerful. And also, again, they're very good at building up choruses, at composing choruses, but the sort of big emotional climax, they're not that good at, because those are more, the big emotional climaxes in the song, when you build up, build up, build up, and then you have like a big bit, they're more about production often, they're more about how you mix the instruments, how you push out the thing that you want to be the lead of the thing, and the production is a bit wonky on this record, like, they are, the Get Up Kids are really solid at building melodies, but melodies matter less in that kind of, like, build up, build up, build up, have a big emotional moment, and that's why I personally feel they don't hit as hard as other bands doing the same thing, But again, still something that people will definitely liked at the time, because it will come up again and again and again in the genre. Okay, I put the back half of this on again in the
4: background. You're right, they do change up the drum. For some reason, my brain just autopiloted the drums and just kept hearing marching band drums over and over until the end of the track. But no, you're right, they do do shift it up and then fade out with those.
2: Yeah, but in a way I don't care for, sadly.
4: Yeah, it's very anticlimactic, but it's not just...
0: Yeah, no, it's one of the most forgettable for me. It's... Again, this is another one of those that sounds like they were trying to be Jimmy at Word in Clarity and they weren't quite getting there. I still think that half
4: of this is a good song and then it just fizzles out.
1: (laughs)
0: So, you know how I said that the Get Up Kids are really good at building up melodies and are making choruses that are really catchy? They just decide to not do it on this song, which is not necessarily bad. Like, this song has a great guitar sound, the voice sounds emo-y, like it's sound-wise, production-wise, it's sort of like a good prototype of the shape of emo to come. But it's just that there isn't a song there, it's just like, it's, it's sound, there isn't like any melodic hook in this song. Which, again, makes it not memorable, but not bad, I'll listen to this. There's the very Blink-182 noodling on this song, where we can start seeing People employing the same technique, although this is this is not loud, distorted noodling like in the Blink songs. This is more muted noodling, so technically different but structurally similar. Good, it's good sound. It's cute. It's not lacks a bit of melody, which I would like. I would have liked the I stronger punchier chords, but I like this song. That was why I,
2: was I don't think it's sad. bad. It's just
4: we're on to. I'll catch
2: you. I there. It. and it's. My favorite of my least favorites. Got it. So,
4: uh, Yeah. Close
0: to home. Close to home firmly existed. This sound-wise, again, suffers the problem of sounding like every other emo song ever, but this was sort of like, sort of sound like that because people took from this record. So, shrug emoji.
2: If I heard this before other ones, maybe I would cling on to it more, but... Can you sleep as
1: the sound hits your ear? Spoken balance here a bridge for so many years that I should stare at receivers to receive her.
0: And then we move to the last one. I'll catch you. I have one note on this song. And then the album is over. That's my one note and I'll catch you. So this is a real
4: bleak closing track. It's, you know, hey, yeah, we can we can try, I can give this a shot. But the part where I had to rewind cause the last drum beat is recorded in a way that makes it sound like a gunshot? definitely had to be going wait <laughs> what i i had oh. to rewind cuz i thought they put in a gunshot sound effect to close this grim track and it's like no no that's just one random beat on the drum okay
2: yeah the the last note of this is very just like oh. and it and it's like well,
4: okay it's over
0: oh i'm hearing it if if the if the drum shot after the last note okay let me yeah. let, let me put
2: this on here <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Oh, yeah. See,
4: yeah, I, it was starting to close down the track, so I'm I'm just letting my focus drift a little. And I hear that, and I'm like, what the? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that's, I heard, yeah, I hear that now. I, this is my favorite of the slow tracks, because it's, it's not my favorite. On the record by any means, but it has a a good, uh. it isn't fair lyric in here, which you need for an emo record, I feel like, for uh, exclaiming something is not fair.
3: There was an awful lot of uh, not asking to get out of this town, so there needs to at least be an it isn't fair.
4: <laughs> well, no, the guy skipped town. That was what I'm a loner, Dottie, a rebel was about. <laughs> but he didn't say it.
2: Well, he just left the house might be in the same town, you know? He did uh, say
4: he was going to call from a pull a telephone down the road though.
3: I mean yeah. if you're in a like a rural town you can do that and still be in town.
2: All right. I think this album is actually the opposite of that. I feel like this is a lot of the songs here are lamenting the fact that someone did in fact leave the town.
4: We'd break the mold get up kids. I do like this track. It's not bad it doesn't lean in on the grim enough to get there for me. And it doesn't stand out enough on the instruments compared to where the first half's highs were. So it's sort of it's it's king of shit mountain on the back half of this album. I think the, the album
2: it is, except there are two tracks that were regional specific. I listened on YouTube, so the tracks were just in the playlist for this album, but they're not on the Spotify. Like one's like a Japanese only. And one's European only, I think. Central Standard Time, I really like. It's actually my second favorite song, technically, on the record. And when I first listened to it, and I got to that, I thought it was my favorite. But I think I like Holiday the most. But um, Forgive and Forget is the other one. I don't remember it that much because I didn't get a chance to re-listen to it before signing on here. Nothing much to say about those, except that I really like Central Standard Time.
0: And with this, we close the album, so what are your final thoughts on the album?
3: It was nice enough. (laughs) None of it made me want to cry.
2: No, I was not tearful listening to this album, but I like it. I think it's good enough to listen to front to back. I listened to it front to back several times, but I would definitely pick like four or five songs and be like, this is the songs you should listen to of this record. My top three are Holiday, Central Standard Time, and Ten Minutes. I really like those. And Action and Action is a close fourth.
4: I think that this clearly laid down an influence on the genre. Again, we're talking about an album from 1999 that I've said a few tracks are things I still hear mimicked and cloned to this day. I just don't know that as a whole this is a great work because again look at us struggle to find anything to discuss on the back half i get it sometimes you have a contractual obligation this is a band we already know has entirely run out the clock before just to do things that were better for themselves i kind of think this was a case of oh crap we promised 12 tracks uh get some demos
0: <laughs> yeah i i i could definitely see that a lot of this record sounds like stock emo tracks, but it sounds like that because everyone took from this record and built on it in the following 20 years. It would be really interesting to turn back the clock 20 years and see how this would sound to us if we never were exposed to all of the things that came afterwards. All in all, I think this has a couple of really strong tracks. Action and Action. Most of the most of the songs that focus on the Get Up Kid's ability to build really compelling melodies tend to work, and the rest doesn't quite get there, but it does introduce interesting sounds and interesting tropes of the genre that will be taken, you know, afterwards and brought into a different direction. It is very palpable that they were listening to Jimmy Word Clarity, because there are a couple of songs that are just that, but not as good, mostly because they didn't have Mark Trombino on production, and they didn't have the money of a major label behind them, which means they couldn't have just the sheer structural and, you know, and textural diversity of that record. So it's good. It's it's a really important record. It's not something that, as mentioned, I would listen back to back nowadays, but I would listen to a couple of the iconic tracks to this record just in my free time, because I think there are good tracks in this record. It just, you know, but Action Action is a great song, Holiday is a great song, Red Letter Day is great, I I really like Red Letter Day, so it has some really, really solid songs. And then there's some other stuff, but all in all, this uh, this is sort of the situation with the Blink-182 record. It's really important, it didn't age that well, for different reasons. Uh, fortunately, we don't have a uh, dysentery Gary on this record, but you know,
2: and uh, he's not directly saying he needs a woman he can train. So, <laughs> God, that's the opener of that yeah, album, guys. Just right. got to remember that that was the opener. It is. It's... <laughs> It's the
0: first song on that record. I
3: mean, I'm actually kind of surprised that we didn't talk more about, like, the sort of misogyny of leaving a girl that you might have gotten pregnant after a one-night stand. I feel like we might have just gotten a little bit desensitized after the past four (laughs) albums.
2: To be fair, I didn't interpret it that way until Fletch brought it up, so I was just like, I
4: can't. I think in the aftermath of Phoenix TX, that was a real high bar for terrors. So... It may be a week or two until we're recalibrated again.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, also, I re-watched Eraserhead this weekend, so. Ooh, that movie's good. Some babies need abandoning.
1: Same song, different chorus. It's stupid, contagious.
0: And this was this episode of Gotta Get Out of This Town, a 2000 pop-punk and emo-pop retrospective. We talked about Something to Write Home About by the Get Up Kids, which, important record, didn't love all of it, but has some high points. And yes, if you want to listen to more of our lovely little DIY podcast, you can find us on getoutofthistown.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at G-G-O-O-T-T Podcast or you can go on iTunes Just search the name of our podcast where you can rate and review us on our website You will find all of the links to all of the different things We are now everywhere. We are on Spotify We are on all of the platform for podcasts go on get out of There are all of the links all there and you can even access to our spreadsheet and you can see what. It's coming next, but if you want to know what's coming next without accessing our spreadsheet, you might be happy to know that the next record is The Suicide Machines by The Suicide Machines. I know literally nothing about this record, so it will be interesting. Yeah, this one's completely off my radar. If you go on our website, I also made a Spotify playlist with a bunch of songs that we liked from these records. And Fletch, do you have anything to plug? not at the moment. Mostly I've been plugging
4: this show, although you can find me doing work for the Raceball and Pitch Drop podcast networks as editors and hosts respectively. If you happen
0: to like anime, you can find that over at both networks. Adam, do you have anything to plug? Nope. Eric, do you have anything to plug? No. And you can find me at ACC the Moon, and if you want to support us, we don't have a Patreon but we do ship bulk orders of greeting cards. So if you need to apologize to a whole scene for turning it into a sparkly grand affair, consider shopping with us. Good night. Good night. Good night.
1: Good night. Not like I've got the time to stick around I'll catch my flight like a pop pocket. Get out of this town What's on your mind There's no point left to keep your image down What's terrifying